Let's pray over God's word and then let's begin to read Exodus chapter 14. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just ask that you would, you would do what you said you would, honor your word above your name. Uh, I pray that we would worship you in the first part of this message with all our mind and that we'd experience you in the second half of this message with all our heart, soul, and when we go out this week, we would face the challenges of tomorrow today with all of our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 14. Very famous passage. Very big passage. So hold tight. Here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahirath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baazphon, and encamp facing, facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel... They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will, I will get glory over Pharaoh, and all of his hosts, and all of the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Isn't it great when God does a miracle, he takes care of your problem, he brings your solution, and he always ends up at the end. See, I told you, I was God. I'm God. There is no other before him. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. Think of the chariot as the ancient tank. It's a game changer. It's like having something run at you and they would put an archer on it and they'd have a rider there. Or sometimes they'd, then they'd have someone with a spear or with a sword and it was just a killing machine. Pharaoh gets 600 choice ones and then he says, you know what, just bring it all. The entire fury and the entire force of Egypt now knows that the people of God are between a rock and a hard place. They have nowhere to go, nowhere to run, and he is going to totally wipe them out. How many of you have ever had a moment in your life where you said, if God doesn't show up, I'm gone. It's over. I'm done. How many of you have ever looked at the problem that's in front of you? Not a person, not necessarily the devil. Maybe it was a bottom line of a figure for your business. Maybe it was, maybe it was a situation, a false accusation. But you were like, this is too big. This is going to destroy me. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Guess what? You serve a God who specializes in taking care of the impossible. And he's your God. And he's for you. He's not against you. So he made ready his chariots, and he took his army with him, and he took 600 of them. And he goes on, verse 8, And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and Egypt pursued the people of Israel while the people were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and encamped, uh, the, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pihahirath, and in, in front of Baal-Zaphon, when Pharaoh drew the people of Israel, uh, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, "It is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you done this to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this?" 
What we said to you in Egypt, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And I understand what it is like to lead and have somebody afraid and look back and wish that they could change it because they feel that the pain of change is too much. Listen to this quote. Until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change. Change will never take place in your life. And so God turned up the painometer. Don't take everything people say to heart. Why did you do this? You know, this is the biggest thing in marriages, why marriages find themselves between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. This is the biggest reason why business partners find themselves between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. Because sometimes when we hurt, it, we just say, ouch, and dumb things come out of our mouths. It wouldn't be better for them there. But they were afraid of the pain that was coming. But they weren't able to see the deliverance that God was about to bring for them. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only need to be silent. I say this reverently, not sarcastically and not quite as a curse, but it can sound offensively, but sometimes God needs to say to us the way that it's written here in the Hebrew, shut up. Shut up. That's literally what Moses is saying. Shut your mouth. Be still and shut up. It's almost like you have a, somebody who's panicking. I'll never forget this. I, I, I'm I'm just going to share it anyway, but when I, was, uh, when I was 16, I was in a car accident. It wasn't that bad, but there was a young lady that was in the car, and she was freaking out. She's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this is that moment in movies where someone's in shock, and you slap them. And so I raised my hand, and the youth pastor, thank goodness, grabbed my hand and saved it. But I was like, I was like, you know, just someone's freaking out, and they're like, I don't know, what, 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 what. and then God just sometimes proverbially doesn't smack us in the face, but he says, he grabs us and he shakes us and says, be quiet. Stop being afraid. Stop being a self-defeating prophetic visionary that says it'll never be different. It'll always be the same. There's no hope. The, pow the power against us is greater than the power that's for us. That's not who God is. The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? And he continues and he says, the Lord said to Moses, stretch. He, I'm sorry, I just jumped ahead there. The Lord said to Moses, why do, you cry out to the, uh, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. You know what God's word for you today is? Go forward. Keep walking. But you don't understand. There's a sea in front of me. It doesn't matter. Keep walking. Move forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get the glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. God's saying it again. Some trust in chariots. Some in horses. Some in connections. Some in big bank accounts. Some in hedge funds. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And God can bring into existence things that man and resources never can for your life. 
Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them in a pillar of cloud, moved from before them and stood behind them. God's got your back. Coming between the hosts of Egypt and the hosts there and the cloud and the darkness. And it lit the night without, uh, without one coming near to the other that night. God sometimes knows how to freeze your enemy in his tracks. He's not going anywhere. He's still there, but you have a choice. Even when God begins to intervene, sometimes we still panic. God supernaturally says, let me stop Pharaoh for a bit. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove back the sea by the strong east wind all night and made the sea dry and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the water being, listen to this, a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. This isn't water being blown back. Something's happening, but they have a wall of water to their left and a wall of water to their right. I don't know if you understand the element of water, but it doesn't make a wall. God made one. And he made the ground dry. And they walked through. And they go through. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back on the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horses. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots of the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The water became a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel on that day by the hand of the Lord from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel said, Israel saw the great power of the Lord that he used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. What? I mean, this is freedom with a capital F here. Know God, find freedom. Do you know there are so many of us that we know God, but we haven't found freedom in, from our fears. We haven't found freedom from certain idols in our life. Security, loneliness. The whole purpose of the church is to know God, to, and, and because he already knows who you are, but to find that freedom and then discover purpose and make a difference. But this is, this is knowing the power of God and finding freedom on a level that you just have never seen before in your life. It's the, it's the hallmark moment for the Old Testament. Now, I just want to give you something here, and it's in the notes, but I just want to go to your head for a few seconds because this is something that uh, I've had through the years. I've studied this extensively. I'm friends with many people who are experts in this field. And I want to just lay out for you something real quick. Whenever you watch, whenever, when, did, when did the Exodus happen? Whenever you see a TV show, who's the, who's the Pharaoh that's always there? This thing isn't working, so I'm just going to have to go like this. I'm so sorry, but who's the Pharaoh that's there? Come on, Prince of Egypt, uh, the Ten Commandments, Moses. Who's, who's the Pharaoh? No, not the actor, but who's usually the pharaoh? Ramses. 
If you watch Nacho Libre, you know Ramsey's the best, right? Oh, buddy. Well, that actually is wrong for a lot of different reasons. First of all, there are two dates that they give for when the Exodus took place. There's what's called the low date. And there's lots of reasons that I won't go into because it's inside the notes that I have, but it's always putting Ramses II, and they say 1260 BC, and it's all based off of a particular archeologist not finding a certain type of pottery that should have been at Jericho when Joshua came in. And then everywhere they look, they're looking in the wrong place. But the original archeologist of Jericho, Garstang, and many other people who've come after him have gone through this in detail. There's books in there. You can read them if you want. If you're a reader, I highly recommend it. But I'm telling you right now, it's wrong. Why? Let me do this. If you look at 1 Kings 6, 1, it says this. In, in, the 400, in the 480th year after the Israelites had come out of Egypt. So we know 480 years. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, in the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. Every archaeologist, liberal or conservative, will tell you that, the, that around 965 BC, the construction of the temple began. So how do you find the date of the Exodus? If we believe that God's word is the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God, and if you can do text criticism and say, yeah, this is in the early texts, you can look at that, take 965, add, add that 480 years onto it, and then you're looking at a different date altogether. You're looking at 1445. And the Pharaoh, in that case, then, he isn't, he isn't, uh, I'm going to go real quick with this, guys. Sorry, back one, back two. You're looking at possibly Tutmos III, Amenhotep, and there's books. You can read it. Big deal. Does that change your life? It should, because when you begin to read stuff and you begin to study the Word of God, have you ever lost your keys? And you're like, I don't know where my keys are. Have they ever been gone for days? Let's have a confession real quick so I can make my point. How many of you have lost your keys for a day or two? Okay. And then you find out that you were thinking you were someplace at a certain time and you forgot that you actually at that time were somewhere else. And so then you go back and you, re you re-step your tracks and you're like, oh, I forgot. I stopped at my mom's and I, I left my house key there and you grab it. Well, the problem with archaeology is, is that some of the early archaeologists gave these fixed dates and everybody keeps perpetuating the error so that all of the information that they're putting out there, well, we see that there's nothing there. You're looking the wrong place. Go a little bit lower. Move over a little bit. There's a great movie I highly recommend. It's called, uh, it's called Patterns of Evidence, and I don't agree with everything in there, but I agree with enough of it that it's probably one of the few films that I could say to a church person, watch it. The, the, the timeline for Egypt has mobility because there's only three people. I could say stuff that means nothing to you. Manetho and Herodotus and the king list of, of, uh, of uh, Ramses II and all the stuff that they will make very simple for you. But, but we're looking at a different time and it's a game changer because then you begin to see all of this stuff. So the question is, where did the Exodus take place? Can I just say this honestly in certain ways from having journeyed with scholars and talked with, learned from, and debated with them, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter so much, because we're never going to know it. But look at this. This is going to be really quick. The Israelites are at a city called Ramses, which before was known as Avaris, which today is called Delabar. And if you notice that little triangle in the middle of land, that's where Mount Sinai is. Everything on the Discovery Channel is wrong. The, the Red Sea to the left and right and under there. And so the Bible says that the Israelites marched out 
that Pastor Dylan, as he so awesomely preached, that he didn't take them the way of the sea because they would see war too quick. So God's got to take Egypt out of the people. How many of you know that, that when you were ready to start? When you were ready to do, God said no. Um, because you weren't ready, you weren't mature enough, you know? I don't think I could have pastored 20 years ago, 10 years ago. I wasn't ready for it. God knows how to make you ready, and sometimes when you think you are, you're not. You, and God knows how to zigzag your life to bring you right where he needs you to be. So he says, as Pastor Dylan said, I'm not taking you that way. So then everybody says, well, we crossed the Red Sea here, and here we go. We're going to zip right through this. Well, there's all the locations that are in this packet. You can read it. But literally, a couple of things one of them is this, is, is that this thing called the Red Sea can also be called the Reed Sea. And it means nothing to you in Hebrew and Greek. But if we zoom in closer to this area, all through this section, the, 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 all through here, there used to be lakes and, and canals. And so one of the beliefs is, is that they went northern to it because the word Pihahirath is not an Egyptian word. It's actually ha is the word the. Pe is face or the face of the canals. And they had a canal going all the way from one end of the, the country to the other, from the Red Sea. And even today, they has this thing expanded. And look how huge this thing is. You've got full tankers with storage bins on it. And you've got a different time when through this area, the Red Sea used to come up further. So now all of a sudden, you got to ask yourself, well, how did it happen? Where did it happen? Well, it doesn't really matter. It says that the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and water with a wall to the left and to the right of them. That is a supernatural parting of the waters. Only God can do that. Like, who cares whether it was like in the marsh area? If you look at the, the way that this area is set up, if you go forward just a little bit and you decide, okay, well, let's give this a shot. If God parts a lake in two, who at the mouth of a canal, who cares? How many of you will take a walk across like Lake Superior? Like if, if Lake Superior parted open and the ground was dry for you to walk on, like that's a miracle. And then look how wide that canal is. If they're at the mouth of the canal and they go across that, if God parts it there, who cares? That's a miracle. There's a wall of water to the left of them, a wall of water to the right. And it doesn't really, at the end of the day, scholars get so lost in all this kind of stuff. And if you want to, I've made it really simple. But God said to Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. This is a supernatural miracle of God. And it doesn't matter, these whole arguments of like, is it here? Is it there? Is it in this place? God did a miracle for God's people. And if he did it for his people, he can do it for you. And it doesn't matter if it's water or if it's wealth or if it's wickedness or if it's somebody who controls your life. We have people come in this place that, are, that their lives are stuck because they're in prostitution because of human trafficking that come into our place. And you might even be one of those people here this morning. I want to tell you that Pharaoh was just as evil as a pimp, but God can set you free. He can break the bondage of that from your life. He can deliver you out of the thing that has entrapped you. He can release you from the power or the grip of the thing that has hold over your life because he's God. Pharaoh doesn't compare to God. He divided it. But this is the beauty. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, their chariots and their horsemen. With a flick of his wrist, Moses just holds up a stick. A stick. There's nothing magical about that stick. There's nothing magical about relics. It's the God of the stick. He just obeyed. You know, sometimes God does things because he's trying to work deliverance and he wants us to participate in that. He says, Moses, just lift up the stick. Well, I don't know. I feel kind of dumb. Just lift up the stick. See what, I mean, like, obedience is so important. You've got the Israelites over here saying, this is your fault, Moses. This is, when, when you start blaming everybody else for the situation around you, that, that's kind of an immature thing to do. And it doesn't help. Work the problem. Don't work a person over. Work the problem. Own your junk. Work the problem. Stop blaming everybody else and just say, and, and admit it. And even after you work it, you're like, listen, I, I, I really didn't do anything wrong, but, like, this isn't right, but, uh, uh, God, God may not change them, but he can change the situation. He can change the situation. Sometimes we focus so much on the problem or the person of the problem that we forget that God totally can make them and you a non-equation of the factor, and he just does something supernatural, like open up a sea and walks you right through and sets you free. Why? Why did God do this? Why? Look at, the, look at just a couple of thoughts here as we wind down shortly. Let me just show you a couple of thoughts. First is this. Moses answered, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly, you are bent on evil. No! Have only the men go and worship the Lord. Moses comes up to uh, Pharaoh at one point and says, Hey, we just want three days. We just want to take our cattle, our wives, our children, worship God, and come back. God never had three days in mind. He just knew that the conversation had to start with three days. He says, we're going to just go here. And you know what the enemy said? No, you can go. Let the men go. You deserve a break. You know, go ahead. But as for your women and your children, nope, they can't go. Can I, let me tell you something about finding freedom that is a part of the gospel and that is core to this church. If you want to find freedom, you do it together and no one gets left behind. It is not God's desire that you find freedom as a single mom and that your children don't know what deliverance is. Don't stop praying. It's not God's will that you as a husband go to church and you never ask your wife to come with you. God can draw them. Freedom is one of those things that we know God vertically. You can have an experience with God, but you'll never find freedom without the encouragement of other people. That's why small groups is a very important and community is a very important part of this church. And if you're in this church, but you haven't integrated into small groups, you're missing a very big part to freedom. When God set the children of Israel free, he set all of them free. And Pharaoh wanted to say, let's make a deal. I'll hold on to a generation. Imagine if the guys did that said, yeah, we're cool, we'll go out, we'll be back. And then they're like, I'm, I'm not going back there. Forget that. And then they split. It might have been another 400 years of slavery. 
It would have been a slaughter, a delay. Do you know that sometimes when we run from things that we need to face, we delay deliverance for our lives? And God says, nobody, nobody gets left behind. We all go together. That's how freedom works. And God said this, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you shall never see again. You shall never see them again. Isn't it incredible that the God who parts waters, the Lord who brings freedom, at the same time can provide a way of escape for you that you never imagined possible and then swallow up the enemy behind you completely so that you never see him again. You never see him again. I don't know about you, different strokes for different folks, but there were some vices in my life that if they didn't get destroyed and you can destroy yourself with bitterness and unforgiveness and gossip and slander just as effectively as you can crystal meth. In fact, I've seen people on crystal meth in better spiritual condition than some people that attend church. It blows my mind. I've seen people in prostitution in a better spiritual place than people in church endowed with gossip and bitterness and slander and unforgiveness. Those things are bondage for your life. You're a slave to, un to those things. They chain you. And God wants to set you free. And you may be like, I don't know. I've tried. I feel guilt. I feel shame. No, God is bringing a setup moment in your life where he is going to just do something that has nothing to do with you and everything to do with trust. And he's going to open up that sea and you're going to walk through it and you're going to be saying, I know he's going to kill us. I know he's going to kill us. He's going to come after us. I know he's going to kill us. There had to have been tons of people as they were walking through there saying, oh man, he's coming after me. He's going to pick me up again. He's going to beat me. He's going to, you know, he's going to chase me. I'll never be free from this. I just don't know how to shut my mouth. I don't know how to, I, when I open it, I just put my foot in it. I just can't, I don't know how I'm going to get free from this. They're going to collect that money. They're going to take this thing away from me. And then all of a sudden, God says, hey, Moses, Lift up your staff. He didn't say, children of Israel, let's cast a boat. I want everyone to raise their hand. Those in favor of drowning Pharaoh, say aye. <laughs> Oppose, same side. Listen, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. Democracy is a great thing when you're trying to mitigate and manage people, but the kingdom of God is a theocracy, and God makes decisions, and he brings us in sometimes later in that process, and he's simply talking to Moses. He's saying, Moses... Just, just do this. Moses, just do that. And all those people are like, he's going to get me. I'm not going to make it. Here he comes. Here he comes. And they're cringing, waiting for the blow. And all of a sudden, they hear water going. <laughs> and they look over their shoulder. And the very thing that Pharaoh relied on, his power, his armies, his chariots, his connections, are wiped off the face of the earth. So much so, that Egypt will never have total dominance over the children of Israel ever again in their history. God knows how to set you free. God has the power to set you free. And we all need freedom. We all need freedom. Whether it's here and you're here watching or you're watching online, you need freedom. Well, I just tell a little white lies. You know what? I just do little white murder from time to time, too. There isn't such a thing as that kind of gradation of stuff. 
well, I'm not sleeping with anyone's wife, you know, but Jesus said that if you look at someone lustfully, it's as if you've committed adultery. Like, do you want to do the tit-for-tat clean game of like, I'm a free person. I love Jesus. I come to church. No, we all are in constant need of freedom, and we're in constant need of grace. And the great Moses, Jesus, parted hell, death, and the grave for you and I and swallows them up forever, throws them in the lake of fire. But we all need Jesus. We all need freedom. And it was that day that the Egyptians know that the Lord was God. He had power over their horsemen. Look at this. Is not this what I said to you when, to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it was better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I know what's going to happen today. One moment in when I'm speaking to you here this morning, your mind goes to a specific issue that you know needs to change. And then you're going to be faced with the challenge of that, which is, in order to get free, you need somebody else in your life. Every single pastor on this staff has an accountability partner where they pop the trunk and say, here's the junk, and I need to talk about this. Because every single one of us Not one of us is exempt from temptation. Jesus wasn't even exempt from temptation. In the wilderness, Satan came at him. Bam, boom, bam. Two times a week, a month, I go with a friend and I get together with him and I share my victories and I share my failures and I do what James says, confess your sins one to another. We pray. Why? Because if I'm left to myself and I keep it a secret and if you leave your secrets to yourself, sooner or later they are going to be so large and so powerful, you won't stand a chance for freedom. You're going to need a miracle of a parting of a Red Sea. That's why accountability is so important in your life. And this is why people want to just know God, but they never really fully find freedom because freedom happens horizontally. We have to be able to say to someone, listen, I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I say this or I, I confess this or if I open this up. No, you know what the devil works best in? Darkness. He wants you to keep it in darkness. He wants you to hide it in darkness. He wants to say, if you share that about somebody, they will never love you, trust you, or respect you ever again. Such a lie. James says we all stumble in many ways. In order to find freedom, it is an ongoing process. In fact, a good dear friend of mine, Mike Caparelli, we get together twice a month. We've been doing this for a while. And when we get together, he was telling me recently, he's an expert with with psychology. He is um, very close to our former boss, Pat Manzo, who runs Teen Challenge, New England and New Jersey. And one of the things that they find when it comes to life-controlling habits is that if you don't get yourself in a, a group, like... Uh, uh, AA, Celebrate Recovery, any kind of group like that, within about four to seven years, you will fall back into the same junk that you were in because you don't have people bringing accountability and a safe place where you can find freedom. There's a group of people every Friday night that meet here that, are, that start off and they're saying, I'm a child of God. They're not saying I'm an addict. They're saying I'm a child of God, but I'm still the same person I was and I want to continue to live a life of victory in Jesus Christ 
and I'm here to tell you, this is where I succeeded this week. This is where I failed this week. And they come around that person in love and care. And, and it's designed not just for drugs and alcohol. It's designed for eating disorders or, or compulsive behavior, any of that kind of thing. We all need each other. We need to find freedom. And, and, and what, we, what we do is, is when we blame people and we say it was better over here, all you're really saying is, is you're scared because you don't want to endure the pain that comes with confession and change. That's how change takes place in our life. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to stand still. You need to trust that God is for you. He's not against you. He's not looking for reasons to keep people out of heaven. He's looking for reasons to bring them in. I think we'll be surprised with who's there. There are a lot. I'll just leave it at that. Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast in the Nile. Go back to the first plague when this all started. Um, when it all began. I'm going to skip that last clip, by the way. It says this, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Because every son becomes a soldier. In those days, every son became a soldier. And they multiplied. And that terrified them because Egypt had just lost control of their nation before. Here's the amazing thing. Pharaoh chucks God's children into the, into the Nile. And Pharaoh enslaves God's people. Lord God Almighty swallows Pharaoh's children and army and delivers his children. God has the last word. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And what's amazing is, is that, in fact, when you look in the book of Revelation, sin, death, hell, the grave, all of these enemies that we have no power over, it was all broken by the cross. The Bible says that Jesus throws them into the lake of fire. Babylon, the great city of wickedness, is thrown into the sea. It's a motif when God said, let the waters separate from the waters and earth came. God separates and reverses creation for his, for his children at the, at the Red Sea. And then he re-engineers the process to destroy the enemy. What am I trying to say by that? What point am I trying to make? It's this, is that God will totally change the universe to bring freedom to his children that can't bring it to themselves. Here's the point. You just simply need to first be honest with God. Say, God, I need you. I need, I need freedom. Pride will destroy your life way more efficiently than heroin will. But to be able to say, Lord, I'm yours. And I thank you that you take me, but I, I don't know why you would. I've got some things in my life and I feel guilt and shame. And, and that's where Jesus is like, be still, be quiet. Do you trust me? Do you trust my son? Will you let my son make an exchange for you? See, we think that becoming a Christian means that you ask Jesus into your heart 
and you you do the great exchange, but for the rest of your life, you better not break the Ten Commandments because if you do, you might not make it. The difference between a hypocrite and a weakling is really simply this, that you're just simply going in the direction that you say you are. And I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I'm headed to eternity like this and I'm tripping over my feet, but I want, I want those things. Sometimes my flesh gets the better of me. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not you know, cooking mess, uh, crystal meth and selling it or anything like that. But James says we all stumble in many ways. We, we, we need to just keep walking. God said to the children of Israel, just keep walking. And then you're going to walk your life and you're going to be like, oh, great. If I was in charge, I never would have brought me to this sea. But because God tells me, great, now where's God? I can't turn around and yell at him. So I'll yell at the person nearest me. I'll yell at my wife. I'll yell at my kids. I'll yell at my pastor. I'll yell at my boss. And I'll say, thanks a lot. You know, it would have been better if you'd just left me alone telling me, trust God, follow God, or, you know, this is going to work. Thanks a lot. God says, shh, shh, shut up. Moses, stretch out your staff. Wall of water to the left, wall of water to the right. Now step into freedom. It's a process. If it took 400 years of slavery and it took 10 plagues and 40 years of wandering in Egypt to get Egypt out of the people so that Joshua could finally lay hold of the promises of God, what makes us think that we're going to just simply be okay in isolation? Oh, you don't understand. I'm a really important person. and I have a reputation. And yet, forget the reputation. Your reputation doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Besides, when God's not looking at something and man's looking at it, usually the outside view is all wrong anyway, right? Who cares? I want freedom in my life. And I know that I can't bring it. And God's got a part of sea for my life. And I want to be his. And I want to know that the enemy that pursued me never pursued me again. I'll tell you what. There were some things in my life that I'm still working out to this day. But when it comes to addictive behaviors, God knew that that enemy would destroy me. And I walked across that Red Sea and God swallowed it up. And to this day, I've never been addicted to anything. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never so much as smoked a cigarette. Not to say that like cigarettes will bring you to hell. There's nothing direct in the Bible about that. I just don't want to smell like I've been there. But like, but like there are so many life controlling habits. I mean, all of it. I, the only two things I never did was smoke crystal meth and shoot heroin intravenously. I smoked it. I did, I did, I did all that stuff. But God knew this, this enemy is, is a pharaoh and it's going to kill him and God swallowed it up. Sometimes God needs to swallow up relationships. Sometimes God needs to swallow up idols in our life. I don't know what it is that's going to keep pulling you back to Egypt. But I think God's brought us to a place where he says, Shh, stretch out your hand. Because this, this is beyond you. This is all me. I will fight for you. I'll make a wall of water to your left and your right. Who needs a miracle today in their life? If that's you, stand to your feet. If you're watching right now, I, I encourage you at home. I don't even want to get you out of that comfortable couch. or you, you, know, you can even just close your eyes right where you are. But you're saying, I need freedom. I need, I need God to part a Red Sea. And I need to be part of a community. I need to be, I just need God. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the miracle 
of the Red Sea. We thank you that Jesus has parted a Red Sea for us and he's imparted to us a covenant, Lord, that says that you take us, that you take our sin, that you forgive us, and that we continue to come back to you again and again and again. And Lord, we may not be who we ought to be, but we're not who we used to be. And we're going to keep taking steps and continue to just be in awe of a wall of water to the left. We're going to continue to move forward, even if it brings us to difficult situations, but we are going to trust you. You know, at the first moment of trust, you have to do it. I want you to just do this. If you're overwhelmed with sin in your life and you're saying, I don't know why God would take me. I want you to just hold up your hand. I want you to just picture every single thing in your life that you think would disqualify God from loving you, accepting you. And we're going to just put it up there and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, once and for all, this enemy, this Pharaoh, swallow it up in the Red Sea. We, we have visited and wept at the shore of this guilt and shame long enough. Father, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. I pray deliverance would take place in people's homes online right now. I pray in this room that we would be set free from our guilt and our shame and our remorse and our fear and that we would trust in the Lord. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, some in bank accounts, some in connections, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God, Jesus, set us free. And make us a part of your community and your family like never before. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you, if God did something in your life, we need to hear it, especially in COVID. And if God did something here, just email office at Lola G. Even better yet, if you've never been here before, hit the Connect card, take three, come back a few more times. We, we appreciate you. We love you. Those of you watching online, we invite you to join us in person. But we appreciate so much, every single one of you. May you experience ongoing freedom in your life from a God that loves you and doesn't use you. God never uses you. He wants you to be used by him, but he never uses you. He always delivers you. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for joining us online as well.